movies the pastors had in the Queen's funeral yesterday. It was the most viewed church service in history. There are estimates, and how would you count? But the viewing figure of 4 billion people has been quoted around the place. And all eyes on the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the most watched, most listened to sermon ever. To review the service, three experts, David Peterson, the former principal of Oak Hill Theological College in London, now lecturing as an adjunct faculty member at Sydney's Moore Theological College, Rachel Chiano, who lectures in church history at Sydney Missionary and Bible College, and Chris Braga, the senior pastor of Grace West Anglican Church at Glenmore Park in Sydney's West. David Peterson, if I could start with you, what was happening on your pastor's heart? yesterday as you were watching the service for the Queen? Uh, I was both thrilled by the service but also moved by it, um, very close to tears at a few times. I just thought it was an excellent tribute to Queen Elizabeth but also to the Lord Jesus and and such a clear you know, exposition of the gospel but also that the gospel came through in so many ways through the Bible readings and the scripture verses and the singing. Um, it's tremendous. Mm. Rachel, you texted me late last night saying something like, wow. wow. <laughs> yes. yes, wow. Well, the English know how to do pageantry and, and they, they did that wonderfully. Um, I was really moved uh, particularly by Justin Welby's address. Uh, if you've got six minutes to speak to the world, I feel like mm. he – honoured Queen Elizabeth and the word that kept coming through over and over again was service, 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 service. Mm. And he tied that to the one who serves um, the Lord Jesus Christ who she follows. So Mm. it was the invitation, hey, if you want to be Mm. like her in service, uh, look at her Lord, follow Mm. her Lord. Um, Mm. So I just thought, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm. Chris Braga. What a unique lady, what a unique person. And so uh, just watching it thinking uh, that hasn't happened in my lifetime, you know, and it won't happen again. Mm. Uh, you know, the idea of having a monarch who's ruled for 70 years uh, and, and a connection she's had with so many people over so many generations um, and a real embodiment of values that don't exist anymore in one sense um, uh, in that same kind of way. So it just felt such a unique experience, um, uh, you know, and the right way to honour her. But similarly, the, the Christian nature of the service I was really taken aback by and, and really delighted and surprised by her. Yeah. Mm. We were doing a little compare and contrast before we pressed go on this royal funeral compared to other royal occasions. Um, Chris, do you want to start us off on that? Yeah, I was just thinking about Lady Diana's uh, funeral. Um, I think the thing that comes most to mind is often Elton John, uh, you know, and it's a really dominating part of the service, uh, uh, you know, that song. And um, uh, But I think one of the fascinating things is there wasn't a sermon. At Diana's funeral. No, there yeah. wasn't. So there's a Bible reading, it's 1 Corinthians 13, and that's a difficult gig to get from there to the message of Christ crucified and, mm. um, you know, obviously mm. resurrection from the dead. And uh, But it was no attempt made. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it was just I was expecting something, you know, if I can say more gospel-oriented than uh, what happened at Lady Di's funeral. But, uh, you know, it was just such a difference. And I think that having a Christian message 
at a Christian funeral is just so critical. Mm. And so whenever we're running an event, and sometimes I hear people even putting on carols and they think, oh, the carols is too big to even have a message. Mm. And you think, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you've got to have a Christian message yeah. at that kind, of, that kind of gathering. I think that a lot of it has to do with who is kind of influencing the funeral. So I think some of those previous royal occasions have been influenced by other people. But the Queen herself had a big role in, in this particular funeral uh, and her own Christian faith came through in all sorts of different ways by the selection of hymns and Bible passages and so on. But also I think we should give great tribute to Justin Welby uh, who is an evangelical archbishop and who really brought through in, in the sermon and, and perhaps the dean as well who was um, in charge of the service. But you know, I think that was the outside influences were significant in, on those other occasions. Much more celebrity driven. You yeah, know, you can yeah. think that they have Elton John there. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine putting Elton John into any service you have. You know, no one's going to remember anything else except for Elton John. Yeah. Uh, so it's very difficult to, when you've got that celebrity thing going on. Mm. Right, sure. Thoughts on the service? Mm. Mm. So, yes, I had those reflections on Justin Welby's uh, address. I was really taken aback by there was there's a celebration of the Queen as a person and an honouring of her and an acknowledgement of grief of uh, the world, really, mm-hmm. but also the personal grief of the family. Um, and even as they went to the private burial later on, there was space for communal grieving and family grieving. Mm. Uh, and I really appreciated that. It's obviously a very uh, one sense odd occasion we're not going to have that with other funerals Mm. but the chance for collective grief and more focused grief and i was also thinking about um because you've actually researched grief and lament yes yes i did yeah so how were you as you were watching i'm sure you were watching Mm. that grief and lament not just as a participant, but with a professional eye. Professional eye, and the professional eye comes from the pastoral eye. Um, And, yes, so I have reflected on grief and lament academically and why we don't use lament so much in church services uh, these days, uh, including funerals. Um, So the closing, do you call it bagpipe, Mm-hmm. Yeah, the piper, mm-hmm. the piper, piper, the piper, piper, at the end of the committal service. Yes, yeah, that was a lament, mm-hmm. and she chose that. Um, mm-hmm. So there, we're wrapping up. There was deep grief acknowledged. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes as Christians, we can feel that to express grief, even at a Christian funeral, is uh, to demonstrate a lack of faith mm-hmm. uh, in in that certain hope that we have. Yeah. Um, but really, lament is an honourable and godly way. Uh, to express faith. Mm. That's what I'm convinced of. Mm. Um, And so the work I've done in Lament has been part of a broader project to try and retrieve Lament Psalms into all sorts of services, including funeral services. And we called the book Finding Lost Words because the Lament Psalms are a gift to God's church and that they're largely lost words. So this project was an attempt to retrieve them and I feel like that was honoured at her funeral. Deep grief was allowed to be felt. Mm. Even saw little Prince George. Mm. Do you mm. see that? Wipe away your tears. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And wasn't shunned for it. Mm. Um which I think is a big shift because we can feel apologetic about our tears at mm. funerals, even Christian funerals. 
I have people apologising to me for crying. Mm. Um, I don't think that's a Christian response, really. Yeah. So that were my reflections. Mm, David, thank God for the prayer book. Mm. <laughs> yes. It was, um, <laughs> first of all, it was interesting to hear the Book of Common Prayer again in ancient English, mm-hmm. um, which I guess was the Queen's preference. Um, but, of course, all the modern versions of the Book of Common Prayer uh, basically follow the same structure, uh, but they've, they've modernised the words. Uh, what, I, what I did also find interesting was the way in which they added in some uh, good modern prayers. Uh, I, get, I think one of the weaknesses of the Book of Common Prayer uh, service for the burial of the dead is that there's there's little compassion for the bereaved. Mm. There are no prayers for the bereaved, whereas mm-hmm. modern services have that. In fact, I don't really think it's... It's it's it offers as much compassion as we we would want, and therefore to have to add to it was was a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had the Bible readings in the King James version again, which I was disappointed about in terms of clarity. But then on the other hand, you can see that that would fit in with using the the Book of Common Prayer, um, ancient language. Mm. There were a couple of clarity things that I was thinking about. I mean, uh, when I had the program sitting in front of me. Mm. I could work out the words of the songs. Right. But when I didn't have the program sitting in front of me, they might have as well have been speaking in tongues. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and and there was a sense of that a little bit. I mean, they were great Bible readings, mm. but it wasn't quite as – I was thinking when she was talking about incorruptible and, yes. and I think if you weren't familiar with 1 Corinthians 15 and the logic of the way this flows – this was pretty indecipherable for the average punter. Mm. Yes, although the basic message that Paul's giving, the message of hope, I think, came through very yeah. clearly. Yeah. And on the music, the, one of the problems about Westminster Abbey is that the choir is so separate from where the congregation sits mm-hmm. and there's a big screen mm-hmm. in yeah. between. So the sound may not ca- carry so well over mm. the top of that screen in terms of the articulation. But I, 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 listening to it on TV, I could I could understand all the words they were singing. So, mm-hmm. Well, you might have been more familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so what, what was your take on that, Chris? Yeah, interesting, though, the, the music, similar thing. Uh, I didn't have the downloaded thing in front program. of me, yeah. uh, program, but, you know, they, they showed what Sahama was from. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't intelligible. And uh, and I think that one of the disadvantages is having a lot, a lot of the pomp and ceremony means that you can get lost in stuff. And I noticed that with the media response. You know, they start talking. They're not talking about the message. They're not talking about the Bible reading. They don't know what they need to talk about. You know, when I sit down with my family, um, hanging out with the Jensen family for 30 years, uh, it was the first time I hung out with a family that you talk about the speeches. Uh, you know, that's the thing. Um, when There's a lot of conversation about a lot of things, um, you know, Kate's necklace and all these kinds of things. But, yeah, what about the message? What about what was said? Uh, so when we sit down as Christians, we're talking about this. But I hope there's a whole bunch of conversations that do latch onto those parts of the service that were clear, that did have a message in them. And, you know, a nice song here and there, yeah. Um, but in our services, we do a lot worse, uh, like a lot, lot worse in the funerals we run sometimes. Um, and well, you I think ran a funeral this morning. I ran a funeral this morning. And you must have had yep. in mind last night as you were putting together the service this morning. In contrast, yeah, there's a few things. And, and I, I, I suffer from the expectations that people now have as running funerals. It's not just what I want. Uh, and so sometimes I feel as though I need to push back Mm. harder. Probably one of the things I like least, um, and this is a, a personal thing, but I actually think it was shown uh, with the Queen service, is we effectively had two church services. Mm. And you're going, why well, have two? Um, and I think that uh, previous, uh, I think 
uh, King George VI was his funeral was um, in St George's Chapel and then buried in St George's Chapel. And so it was a new thing to have the service in Westminster Abbey, uh, uh, but it allowed for more people to be there. But it's actually a common thing. We don't bury people on the side of our churches. We don't cremate them on the side of our churches. Uh, you might have a service at a crematorium. Um, but it means you need to do two things. To dispose reverently of the body means you need to then go somewhere else. And so I always encourage the families, the families I engage with, is that I want to do that. But if it doesn't work in their planning, because often it means three locations, and, and then I'm okay with that. I don't want to pressure that. But just imagine the, the, the Queen's body leaving Westminster Abbey and then going off in the hearse, and then that's it. Mm. And you kind of think, actually, we, we stood with her the whole way, and it was her body. It wasn't an empty coffin. It wasn't a coffin just with the, um, um, you know, the, the scepter on it and the orb uh, and her crown. She was there. And even after those were removed, you know, she's there. And we're going to care for her body. And we're right there, almost to the end. So we didn't quite have the committal service, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That was the bit that was done privately. But we saw the body being lowered down and we had done it. Mm. And so actually being there, I find that's very important. And as part of our making death a clinical thing and removing it, um, I don't like it. I think I, I like it being in people's face, having the, the coffin there. So this morning we had the coffin in the church um, and just the confrontation, the reality of that, um, that, that and allowing people to mourn and not trying to hide it. Um, so trying to just dealing with the body, I think that's, that's a big part of what we're doing in that day. Uh, now, it's a bit confronting body gets lowered into the ground. It's also very confronting when you go around the back of the crematorium because it's, it's not like the front. Mm. Um, but, you know, you know what you're doing. You know what's happening. Um, the body's not being taken anywhere else. Um, so I think that there's something that communicated a lot to me, just how the body being taken to St George Chapel and then that committal service. Mm. Yeah. You know, we felt as though job done. You know, it quite, can be quite perfunctory, an hour service done and dusted out of there. Mm. But with the Queen, just taking the time to do that. And everyone just watched it on TV. I did. Mm-hmm. I was up late. <laughs> um, but, yeah. No eulogies in the service. Mm. Wow, yeah. That was, look, there, there kind of was, it was kind of intertwined, wasn't it? So it was with six minutes. Sermon? It was six minutes. He got in inter, so inter, much. Intertwined with yeah. that. And you kind of think, if there's any woman who could speak about, mm. um, it would be, it would be hers. Uh, anyone who can speak about her life, it'd be yeah, her tell life. Tell stories, great stories. That's right. My, my grandmother passed away in 1996, almost exactly 26 years ago. And at the end of it, I thought my, my grandmother would have hated the funeral because everyone talked about her. Mm. Didn't talk about Jesus. Uh, so I, I thought there was very little said about the Queen and a lot said uh, through the service itself and appointed more to Jesus uh, and him being her king and his rule and his reign, which is quite confronting, reading from 1 Corinthians uh, about the reign of God and you've got the monarch right there. Um, A lot has changed about this eulogy business because I I reckon in all the funerals I took up until about 2000, there was hardly any one that people asked for a eulogy. But it's been a, a growing request to the point where I've been to a number of funerals where there have been four, five, six people who've said mm. something, and 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 the pastor comes in at the end with a and everybody's tired of it. Tired of it, and yeah, and but when I when I was when I first began in ministry, and I, I, I the pastor was expected to to actually say the eulogy in the sense of get get thoughts and ideas from the family to convey at the beginning of the sermon. Mm. Um, so once the eulogies take over, 
uh, it becomes a very human-focused yeah. service, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Chris, you'll obviously review this with your staff um, as a, in a staff meeting discussion and perhaps use it as a training moment for them. What would you say about, I mean, we've talked about what you liked about the sermon. Mm, mm. What would you have done differently if you were preaching? About the sermon. Mm. Okay. Um, I always like to set out the gospel in terms of problem and solution. Uh, I think what we heard, the problem was death uh, and the solution was the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, um, and that's true. And so what we said was really helpful and, and, and excellent. I know that uh, I want to be able to say, well, pick up from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the sting of death is sin. Um, and so uh, Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He was crucified for your sin and rose from the dead. Uh, so it's a very small point. Um, and I must admit, I was a bit confused by a term that Justin used, which was uh, the merciful judgment of God. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of think um, that is God is merciful and he's judge. Which one are you going to force? And make that choice. Um, but the, the, the message had that. I think one of the really wonderful things was this isn't just a unique woman, as, as I said, but, but she had a faith that you can have too, mm-hmm. that you can experience this. You can experience this hope. Uh, so um, any kind of, I mean, it's a tough gig, you know, six minutes. I mean, I, I spoke for longer this morning, um, but, you know, six minutes to pack everything in. Uh, but even in that, the challenge is thinking about how do I actually uh, help people see the dire problem they're in? And the dire problem we had presented for us was death, which everyone gets. There's something that is worse than that, and um, it's facing the judgment of God unforgiven mm. uh, and experiencing that mercy. Uh, so anyway, when I become the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know. <laughs> cool. David? Yeah, I guess there's a problem about trying to fit too much into yeah. a, a six-minute sermon. And for many people, it's a, almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was incredible how much you got into those six minutes, yes, I must admit. It, it, was, just, it yeah. was incredible. And I think, I think we do need to think about the fact that we're communicating the Word of God through the whole service yeah. right from the beginning. I was really impressed when they were bringing the coffin in and they started singing those sentences, I am the resurrection mm. and the life says the Lord, was the first one. And it was unaccompanied. And whether people could hear the detail or not, I'm sure. But I just thought, wow, this is Scripture from the beginning to the end. And, and so people were getting the Word of God coming at them in different ways. And um, you know, I think we need to trust that that will have its, its long-term effect and it doesn't all depend on the sermon, important though the sermon is. Mm, right. Mm. The other thing, I, the other reflection I had on Justin's sermon, this isn't this is critique, it's actually praise, but we're talking about um, some aspects of the sermon could be obscured in terms of language, mm-hmm. choice of language. I felt like his choice of language throughout was for the average punter. Mm -hmm. So there were some phrases, Mm -hmm. merciful judgment that you might play with in your mind. What what did he mean by that? Um, But I really felt that he, he spoke clearly, articulately, carefully, slowly, Mm -hmm. good language. He, he spoke to be understood. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. My little reflection was just, um, I, I was just a little surprised that he, didn't I had two thoughts. One, I, he didn't give me a window into a conversation that he had had mm. with her about the Christian faith. And I think all of the people whose funerals I've spoken at that are Christian 
and when I've known that they were going to die, I've gone and had a conversation about their faith journey and about the Lord Jesus mm. and, and then been in the position to just share a little of what their heart was for this moment and um, why she chose John 14 verse 6, um, uh, for example, as a, as a reading. And so mm. I, just, I just, if I was in that situation, and I'm sure he's had a conversation about the things of God and eternal life with her, but you didn't get an insight into that. And, I mean, maybe that's the Australian English, the, the kind of um, know, some sort of British. I think it might also be kind of, you know, you don't want to disclose things that were said in private with the oh, Queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of reserve. Mm, yeah. Well, I was thinking on that. Um, I think grief at funerals uh, and grief generally, there's, there's a general grief and a specific grief Mm. so there's the general grief of sin and death we are we can mourn at anyone's funeral because Mm. death is there even if we don't know the person um there's just an awfulness to having this intrusion there's nothing natural about death it's Mm. it's an intrusion um and then there's the particular grief so you wanted particular queen stories Mm. because you're grieving over the particular loss of this, this woman, yeah, this woman, yeah. made in the image of God, made uniquely um, to be the person she is. So there's particular things you miss about her because of the way that God wired her, the gifts he made, and you want to mourn that loss. So I think that's partly what we missed and mm. hard to in a royal funeral, but I think we are trying to do in having the touches of personal touches in a funeral is to honour that particular person. And, the you know, mm. we miss their cooking, we miss their laughter, we miss the way they light up a room, we miss their fierce intelligence, whatever mm. it is that makes them men. Mm. We're mourning that as well as general mm. mourning of death. Um, and if I bounce off that, I wondered, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, Chris, but um, uh, in West, West, Westminster Abbey when you had that uh, list of, if you like, professional faith leaders um, lead in prayer mm. um, and then when they got to Windsor Castle, um and the two people who led in prayer were actually her chaplains. You know, mm, they were mm. the people who knew her. And even though they were, if you like, prayer book prayers, there was just a tenderness of tone. Oh, the, de- the dean looked moved. Yeah. Like when, when he was praying those prayers. Yeah. Um, St. George's Chapel. He felt like he's the guy who's preached to her Sunday by Sunday and who's yeah, cared for yeah, her yeah. and cared for her in a way that those other kind of mm, mm institutional leaders haven't had that mm. intimate contact. Mm. I mean, that's how I felt as I watched yeah, it. It's, it's just, just worth picking up on that point that I think some people are against liturgy because they feel it can be easily rattled off and mm. it's just mechanical. Mm. But obviously, if you're going to use it properly, you need to pray it yourself. Yeah. And it really comes through, and, and I think the people in that service did that. They, they were did. really praying the prayers. Mm. Although it does put me off a bit when people pray with their eyes open because it kind of looks like they're preaching. But, mm. but <laughs> leaving that aside, I, I think um, those prayers were used in a really spiritual way that was engaging and you really felt the person was praying that prayer mm. himself or herself. And, and in those colleagues, there's so much scripture, as you're saying, like there's mm. so much scripture in the service. And so uh, the, the prayers themselves lent them to um, to pointing people to Jesus, to mm. the resurrection. We mm. talked, one of the colleagues was about they're looking forward to the general resurrection. Uh, there's so much in that, in that particular prayer. Mm. 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 
And while not everyone's going to use, understand, liturgy for funeral services, there can be something helpful in having set words that you're committed to praying because something grief does Mm. to the human body is it robs you of words. Language becomes really hard Mm. in deep, deep grief. And so having words that uh, you have crafted previously or someone else has crafted um, can be really helpful because it gives you the words and not to reiterate the point too much, but that's what lament psalms do. They give you the words Mm. when you're stuck for language. um, You've got words that are gifted uh, from God that you can pray and so I, I appreciate set language yeah, I take in this it, context. What Rachel's saying is music to your ears, David Peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think um, there is a kind of spiritual spirituality around which says, oh, we don't want to repeat words. We don't want to say things that other people have written. The only really, sponta- the only really spiritual prayers are the ones that are spontaneous or that, that you, you say for yourself. And I just think that's a complete myth and it's a misunderstanding of the value of using repeated words, which is, which you, which is your point. And, and the fact that they're clear and that they say something worthwhile and you're not repetitive, it's not boring. Dominic, you said, you know, the other faith leaders. Um, what's interesting, it was other Christian, Christian leaders. leaders. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the Queen holding that title, Defender of the Faith, uh, which is, you know, from Henry VIII, uh, uh, which wasn't exactly a Protestant defence of the faith. Uh, for him. That yes, that's right. Um, and uh, so you think uh, that that title was described to her, uh, attributed to her, I think, uh, in the committal service. Mm. Um, and I thought, that's right, there's boundaries on what you're going to do. You're not going to just write a prayer and say, oh, can you pray this mm. uh, and give it to someone who isn't of the Christian faith. Uh, you think, you know, there is a genuineness that we expect from people who are praying those. And so just having those, interesting, having that boundary on, on who you're going to get to do what in the service. Mm. On that, I was quite, I mean, Knowing that she has called herself defender of faith in line with her ancestors. Defender of the faith. The faith, yeah. yeah. That's a, the critical and, difference. And knowing that Charles has said, I'd like to be known as defender of faiths, plural, which is a totally different ballgame hmm. altogether. Correct, yeah. I was very surprised that Justin Welby said he did. that Charles's faith is the same as Elizabeth's hmm. faith. Now, either Charles has moved or Justin has got the story badly wrong. Or he's del- delivering an expectation. <laughs> or delivering we, an expectation. We, we expect you to do this job because <laughs> yeah. that's the title you have. Yeah. 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 But there are two different issues, aren't there? Because defender of faiths means I, I am going to defend the right of people to have different faiths. Freedom yeah. of religion. Yeah. Defender of the, the faith is a legal, historical um, requirement of the monarchy in England, yeah. um, the, of the Protestant faith. And actually that means Elizabeth, more than anyone, is the gospel preacher. Mm-hmm. And at her coronation, that's what uh, she's, she's expected to um, be a defender of the Reformed Protestant faith. Mm. Uh, that's the expectation placed on her at her coronation. Yeah. yeah, And that's what she did. And as somebody commented, uh, I think quite rightly, that in effect the Queen and the Archbishop of Canterbury running the Church of England, <laughs> a bit of an offhand comment, but there's a sense in which they do have a kind of equal authority in, mm. in, in the whole procedure. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Dory. My guests on The Pastor's Heart, Chris Braga, he's the Senior Minister of 
Grace West Anglican Church, uh, at Glenmore Park in the west of Sydney. David Peterson, uh, a lecturer at Sydney's Moore Theological College, the former principal of Oak Hill Theological College in London. And Rachel Chiano, who lectures in church history at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. You have been with us on The Pastor's Heart. Thanks for joining us. And we will look forward to your company next Tuesday afternoon. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.